Welcome to Eat This Scroll, a University Fellowship Church podcast. My name, as always, it hasn't changed. Denise. Is Chris, it's Denise. <laughs> I've lied to you this whole time. My name is Chris Moore. We get together about twice a week and we chew on God's word and we uh, hopefully provide something constructive and thoughtful for you and have a good time doing it to edify you and encourage you and brighten your day a little bit. Maybe challenges every once in a while. A little bit of challenge. This week we've got Jarrell S. Carper. Jarrell, welcome to the office. Here to challenge you. You're here to challenge. Yeah, for the listeners, this is my first time podcasting in Chris's new office, which, although it's very small, is still 10 times larger <laughs> than the broom closet we used to. There is a window that's larger than my forearm. That's, yeah. And I get to sit on a couch now. Yeah. Prior, I had to sit on a desk chair, which mm-hmm. was fine. Yeah. But, and you can extend your legs here. Yeah, so if, if I just stop talking, I've probably fallen asleep. <laughs> well, Jarell, you have been uh, working through systematically uh, through First Peter, not Paul, not authored by Paul, not yeah. written to Paul. Very, very little to do with Paul, despite <laughs> your <podcast>. best efforts. <laughs> yeah. um, but I would love to hear. What's going on now? Where are we at now? Yeah, so it's been a while with this whole building transition. We just, uh, yeah. this podcast got very low on my priority list. Yep. So Sorry, listeners. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm here to offend. And uh, so we're picking back up. So I actually, as someone who's been talking about this, didn't even remember what we were talking about. So <laughs> I thought I'd start over and uh, we're chase- tracing some bi- three big themes through the book. The first um, is that uh, Peter is addressing the Christians that he's writing to as resident aliens. So we're talking about the tension between residing in the world, but still in a sense being foreigners or strangers or aliens um, and talked a little bit about what that means. Um, that's led uh, these people to ex- encounter trials and suffering, whether that's fighting the old flesh, whether that's being um, persecuted by those nearby or just conflicting values uh conflicting lifestyles with the world around them um a lot of these people um have just moved to um different parts of the roman colonization world and so there's just like general cultural differences as well um and the final theme is through all this peter's trying to drive them uh to hope that we are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ and so that despite the kind of bad news of the first two or so it seems there's there's some good news a lot of good news not just some good news john krasinski (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i just wish the bible was more relevant for like our human experience in the 21st century (laughs) no i'm excited this those are all topics that i think we could all relate to living unless you live in some sort of cloister or you know talk about that today what we could talk about that today. We can talk about yeah. that. Yeah. I, I worked at a car wash growing up and it was called Cloister Car Wash. Hey. I was thinking um, of like the religious. Yeah. Like, you know, sectary. Yeah, I know. It's like, yeah. Just lots of, <laughs> lots of hours vacuuming <laughs> out cars. <laughs> All right. Okay. So here we are. We are in uh, chapter two, verses 11 to 12. So if you're driving, you can pull out your Bible and follow along. Ooh. Same joke every time. <laughs> so let me just read it for you. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak 
against you as evildoers. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Great. So we're going to break this down to three three parts and breeze through these real quick. Uh, the first is that in verse 11, Peter, um, he's addressing them as beloved. So there's like a relationship there. He's urging them as sojourners and exiles. And so he's returning to that first theme that we talked about. He's given them this particular identity or framework for understanding who they are as a people group in their context. And so he's drawing um, the ethic that he's about to talk about from their identity. Uh, That's like, you know, if you're in Christian circles, you hear that a lot of like what we do comes out of who we are. Our actions and disciplines come out of the transformation of God's regeneration of us and the spirits work in us that when you would disconnect your actions from your identity, you can have some problems as a Christian. Yeah. You'll know them by their fruit abiding me. Yeah. Lots of, of lots of fun verses, (laughs) but still um, because of this identity that we have, um, Peter gives two commands and then two kind of after each command, there's like a little bit of a explanation or reasoning behind it. Um, so the first is just to abstain from uh, the passions of the flesh. And the reason for that is uh, because they wage war against your soul. Um, so Chris, tell yeah. me when you like read that verse, you're like kind of the context, like what strikes you when Peter's like, hey, abstain from the passions of your flesh. What yeah. what does that mean? Yeah, I think of, um, I mean, the myriad of lists of qualities of the flesh, actions you take, lying, self-seeking, gluttonous, um, you know, sexually immoral, all of those things. I think, okay, this is what the passion of the flesh looks like. It's very self-centered, egotistical, consume, uh, rooted in pride, those kinds of ideas. So yeah. they really, and I think of... Um, Shout out to my boys, the Puritans. Um, I think it was John Owen who wrote The Mortification of Sin and um, the other one, Indwelling Sin of the Believer. And the way he describes it in there is very animalistic and very nefarious and very um, sentient, you know, that it's kind of at work to destroy, to devour very strategically in your life. So that's what I think of. Yeah, for sure. And like Peter doesn't, make give a list here no. he's not specific he assumes the listener or the readers i guess hearers yeah the listeners um know can like deduce what that means i think one of the interesting interesting things that i was thinking about as i was reading this is that um oh man how do i even start this so um when when peter i've been waiting to like talk about this during this whole yeah, thing. Building. We talk about being a sojourner or an exile on earth. Um, you could think about it in two ways. And I think depending on how you think about it, it's going to shape your ethic. So um, what you think is true is going to shape how you, th- how you live. And, you know, I don't want to make a bigger deal than this. I just, I've seen differences in the way Christians live out their faith. And I do, I trace a lot of it back to this. And the the first is that why in a kind of um, spiritual identity uh, sense are these are these people exiles and sojourners? And is it because they are on earth instead of in heaven? Like, is the conversation is that your home is in heaven, 
mm-hmm. and which means an afterlife, you know, most of us think up. <laughs> yeah. Some other like realm, however we're picturing it, hopefully not with a harp and a white, <laughs> white robe yeah. floating. I don't Baby know. cherubs. Yeah. Yeah. Which I don't mind. I wouldn't mind having soft skin like that. Baby cherubs. That's true. So maybe that's true. <laughs> so Still is, the, beard, is the problem though. that we're on earth instead of in heaven? Uh, it would be one option. Mm-hmm. Or is the problem that we're on a broken earth instead of a restored earth? Mm-hmm. And is, is the posture that we should think more about us escaping earth and going to heaven or more about heaven coming to earth and restoring all things in Christ? Yeah. So um, I think different Christian traditions, um, if you just wrote it out on paper, you could probably like give your answer. But I, I do think our answer is proven by how we live. And so I do feel like there are Christian traditions that are more emphasizing um, spiritual things, sacred things over secular things. Um, the most important things are things that have to do with um, eternal salvation and the, the etern- like eternal place of your soul mm-hmm. and Christian things like worship and prayer and singing songs and reading your Bible and stuff like that. Um, but if, if you feel like the reason that we're out of place is because earth itself is corrupt and broken and we're actually hoping God's kingdom comes on earth. Um, and maybe the, I don't want to set up like a false dichotomy necessarily here, mm-hmm. but um, it's going to, I feel like that leads to a more like earthy, gritty social ethic. And I think to an extreme, you see um, Christians very engaged in social work and meeting practical needs, things like that where the reason we're sojourners is because the world is is not the the powers that are ruling the world are not um in line with God and his spirit. And so um I think that's an important thing because when the social location of these believers are actually like they are um they're the minorities. Like they're excluded from privilege and power. And so when I was thinking about what would I like what would the passions of my flesh be if I was on the underside of power and the underside of privilege? Well, it'd be like survival. It'd be revenge. <laughs> it'd yeah. be um, anarchy. It'd, you know, it'd be like, I'd want to fight back. I would want to be anger, angry at the injustices that are served my way. Um, and so I think when we read this, you're like, oh, the passions of your flesh. You're like, yeah, lust and greed for more wealth. And mm-hmm. we kind of impose these, the, the typical list of, things that we as kind of like typical like wealthy i mean for the most part we're like i don't feel like i'm on the underside of privilege and power in my life at the moment you, you do have running I, water i have yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i yeah i have a lot of privilege and power and so I, like man if i was on the underside i might not be as tempted to just like be greedy for more money maybe i maybe i would be like seeking revenge or i'd be dealing with anger or hatred toward my enemy things like that Mm -hmm. so i just wanted to like broaden that of what would it mean um what would the passions of your flesh mean if we were if we were the minority position in the in the culture and there's a huge conversation because maybe we maybe there's a sense that we're becoming a more minority culture less Mm -hmm. in like a physically persecuted sense but in an ideological sense at least in like western u.s right now so yeah yeah. And I think that, that was a lot. <laughs> no, that's okay. I think that it doesn't, that doesn't necessarily fly in opposition of other contexts or other instructions that, that God has clearly totally. provided right, us. Right. You know, what you do unto the least of these you've done unto me. There's, there is clearly a social ethic that is presented in scripture. It's just whether or not we care 
because if we don't care, we don't believe that truth. It doesn't form us. It doesn't, it isn't something that we're abiding in Christ to direct and instruct us. And we are, we're doing our own thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think it like translates. So there's a sense that these passions are going to be rate waging war against our soul. And then he goes on and he states like another, um, a positive way. And so instead of abstaining from the passions of your flesh, um, what he says is keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. And then he gives insight into what's happening. So he says, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, so Peter is acknowledging that there's going to be, um, he's talking about the reputation and mm-hmm. what, what would a non-Christian Roman citizen in their town in Asia minor think about the Christians? Well, apparently they are speaking against them as evildoers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, chronologically, I don't know when First Peter was written, but I think within less than a century, Nero is going to take over and, and yeah. blame the Christians for Not everything bad. Well. <laughs> Not going to go well for you. So there's, we're talking about what reputation does the corporate collective group of Christians in this town have with outsiders? So um, they're on, they're in the minority position. They're being persecuted. They're they're on the underside of privilege and power. Um, they're being speak their um, evil is being spoken against them. And so what Peter is saying is um, keep your conduct honorable among amongst them so that when they see your good deeds, they might, or they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So I think that day of visitation means judgment as opposed to like your conversion. Right. Um, you could interpret it that way, but I think, it makes more sense to me that this is talking about when God returns and there's like a judgment. Mm-hmm. So what's interesting is like when I read this, I'm thinking about, okay, what, what reputation do Christians have in to the outside world? And then like when Paul says, dang it, Peter, <laughs> I was going so well. It was. They may see your good deeds and glorify God. So there's a sense that even though there's being spoken against with evil words that they're actually proactively work do like living holy lives and mm-hmm. working good out in the world that right. people would be seeing the good deeds of, of Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, so what was I going to say about this? So well, I get a question about it. Yeah, yeah, go. Okay. When I read this, I immediately thought, and I wonder if you thought of it as well, the the counter side, like the the other side of the coin of this charge, did it, did it ring a bell with you at all elsewhere in scripture? Oh, this probably. is not a trick question. I mean, my but, brain is just pulp uh, right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I immediately thought of um, they blaspheme God all day long because of you. That um, and I I don't have the address in front of me, and I'm not you know a rolodex in my brain, unfortunately. Yeah. But um, how the the witness and the testimony of our lives was producing. And I want to say it was, it was the Jews, but I can't quite remember in old Testament. Um, it produces a very tangible effect in the world around us. This is just saying the opposite of that. It's saying do good. So that that was saying don't do bad because when you do bad, they're blaspheming God, Yahweh all day long. And it's your fault. <laughs> yeah. Cause because you're the way you're showing up in the world is right. bad news. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. I think that's a big tension is, and we face that when we think about our witness to the world is should the way that, I mean, let's apply it to our context. Like should the way that the corporate 
uh, community of mm-hmm. University Fellowship Church show up in Eugene and Springfield and the neighborhoods around us? Like, should we be good news or should we be bad news? <laughs> right. And now, you know, not ultimately bad news, but if we are going to be countercultural, then there's a way we're going to show up that's going to be confrontational, even if it's subversive, whether in what we say, what we think, how we live. Um, the current of our lives is going to, at some point, um, run into the current of those around us. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, if this feels like this type of kind of Christians in culture conversation has come up. It's coming up a lot nowadays in mm-hmm. my mind. I was probably just living under a rock <laughs> earlier when I was eight <laughs> and didn't know <laughs> that people had these conversations. But I, I did some thinking and I, I wanted to throw out like three options of how we're thinking about this. Um, we've talked about this before probably a lot, but it's good to come back. Um, uh, the first way that I think we can think about this is that this is an option one. So Christian subculture, the way that kind of you're taught to follow Jesus in your church setting and like, you know, the church and the theology that you've been raised up in. Um, you can think that honors God and then the non-Christian culture around us doesn't. And so the separation is that we're right and they're wrong. And we're just going to like either be different. We're going to be reclusive and seclusive. We're going to be confrontational. We're just just so different Mm -hmm. because you're entirely wrong and we're entirely right. Mm -hmm. Um, I do feel like there's, you know, examples, I think maybe with sanctity of life conversations with sexuality or marriage where there is, seems to be this growing sense of, you know, we both have young kids. We're like, are we going to put our kids in public school system? That's a huge conversation. Yeah. Growing up, I've been like, no, my kids are going to public school. But mm-hmm. now that I have a kid and I'm like, oh man, <laughs> yeah. do I want them to hear yada, yada, yada message, mm-hmm. whatever, all day? So I do. this is not the time to have those types of conversations. But it's just kind of this general posture of like, well, of course I'm right and they're wrong. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, the second is that there's ways that a Christian subculture is actually synchronized with the non-Christian culture that surrounds it. And we, we I tried to hit some of these in the men's breakfast, mm-hmm. like consumerism, individualism, yeah. prosperity and wealth, um, hurry and busyness and efficiency, the industrial revolution, whatever, whatever. So there's ways that like, if you just, if you're an option one only Christian, like your assumption is that you're always right. Mm-hmm. The world's always wrong. And that's, that's how you're different. Right. Um, but the reason I ran that men's ministry series is because I was actually seeing in my own life and the life of a lot of Christians around us, a lot of ways that we actually aren't different Mm -hmm. in a bad way. Right. (laughs) Where like the world has actually corrupted our faith. And we talk a lot about how, what we do shapes what we love and we are in rhythms and that are shaping our affections every day. And typically the hour we spend in church can hardly overcome the hours of Instagram and the office and whatever else we do. So, so there's, that's option two, but option three is this, and this is where, you know, maybe we step on some toes, but what if the Christian subculture is actually veered away from godly living? And what if there are non-Christians around us that whether through common grace, just being made in God's image, general revelation may actually be living a more God honoring life than some Christians. Yeah. On and, paper. <clears throat> sure. Yeah. And I know you could talk about like, well, is anything good if it's not coming from, you just go down the theological route, but at yeah. least at like a very physical concrete level, I think 
um, this is where like I'm going to frustrate people, but whatever. I'll just speak my mind. Um, <laughs> like issues like creation care, physical health, art, immigration. Um, you start to get into these issues where at least in our Christian circles, people are like, oh, ooh, what? Like, don't say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, and I, and I, I think that's just where like our posture toward the city um, when I think of having compassion toward those around me, I actually want to see the good um, in them when I can and honor that and like recognize that I may have been shaped in ways that aren't godly and that someone else who might not even know the God that I worship might actually be doing some pieces better than me and mm-hmm. to not just only stay in option one where the world is wicked and I'm good yeah, or not just option two where I'm actually secretly without knowing it shaped by the world but like what if there's ways that as christian subcultures or christian traditions we've actually veered so far that we're blind to how my neighbor down the street that doesn't know jesus at all might actually be seeing the world in a way that i can learn from and like obviously there'd be a limit to that obviously that person i'm not saying they're they're saved or they know jesus yeah but they might have a piece and i think that's i mean even as we talk about this building of like Christians and architecture. And like, I feel like there was a period in time where Christians were leading the way in art and architecture, probably because that's how you get funding. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Michelangelo's like, anyone want to pay for this? Like, church, <laughs> the church is like, we'll, we'll sell more indulgences. And, no, <laughs> um, and uh, so I just wonder, you know, I, I wish Christians did really good art and really good architecture and really good gardening and farming. And mm-hmm. when we, if we over-spiritualize our lives and we neglect some of that, even as we talk about the good works in our society, I, I just wonder, are there ways that we can meet the world around us and find you know, windows of connection where we're saying, you don't know my God, but this way that you're living is actually, in my opinion, it's honoring God. And I want to respect that. And I want to like applaud you for that. And mm-hmm. like that might be a window of evangelism just as much as confronting a sexual ethic or whatever else that we think is different than us. So Mm -hmm. um, that's all from my head. I I didn't like directly draw that out of scripture. I I do think it, it, that's where it led me, but Mm -hmm. that's a lot of rambling, but I I just want us to think about it, you know? And I I just, my fear is that a lot of times I've found Christians in option one and two prevalent, but not a ton that are like, Oh, I wonder if Eugene has something to teach UFC. That's that's an interesting question. Yeah. I think it boils down to, I think you were pointing this out in the beginning, how we frame up our relationship to the world around us. Right. Because it's easy. I've certainly experienced in my own life um, to become really, really like staunch and starchy and kind of grumpy. And, (laughs) you know, uh, yeah, you lean heavier and heavier towards isolationism and, and you abandon things that I think... I think the framework I think through these things is it is right because God made it right. Not because the world does it. We just abandoned it. Yes. So when, when Christian Christians engage with art, we're participating in a work that we were made to do because God is the big A artist. And, and so when we, when we look at things like pleasure and enjoyment and beauty in that aspect, or compassion even in, you know, the conversation immigration, which, you know, gets into like two kingdoms theology and that could go for hours. But um, yeah, I think we are almost intrinsically opposed, at least my mindset and in, in the people I've interacted with definitely fall more into that first category of world bad, 
church good. Yes, I'll follow you there, but it can't stop there because there are ways that we've abandoned things that belong that aren't being partnered with. And I think as a result of that, things that God has made us for are being neglected. Um, and we need to be really intentional about saying, okay, God, what what have you called us to that we're neglecting here that the world, you know, has disordered, you know, I, I would say largely disordered, if not entirely, but that was always a part of God's created order. Right. Yep. You know, and how do we honor that in, in this space instead of just going, oh, the secular pagan neighbors like playgrounds. I hate playgrounds. <laughs> no, yeah, that was actually my, that was actually one of my concluding point is that our ethic is from God and scripture, mm-hmm. not just the opposite of those around yeah. us. Um, I, and I think sometimes it, you're like on paper that, yes, I agree. But then if you look at how we live, sometimes we're like, well, the world's doing this. So yeah. let's be different. And mm-hmm. That's why I don't, I don't think Peter is saying that holiness means separating yourself from the world. Like I think like that first part is like abstain from these passions. I think yeah. it's maybe that piece of don't get caught up. But then when it's like, I want you to transform the corporate reputation of Jesus followers through good works. Right. Um, out in the world that yeah. are visible, that are helping people that are showing love that are sacrificial, that are somehow like compelling that someone might actually consider your worldview and your belief system because of how you live and whatever. I've already said too much this episode. But I'll just say it. But when we talk about the, the idea of a social gospel, which is like controversial now, you know, mm-hmm. some Christians are like, well, what good is any of that if it doesn't have the gospel? And some mm-hmm. are like, what good is the gospel if your neighbors think you hate them? <laughs> you know, and sure. all this. But when I pe- when I hear people, I understand some of the hesitations to where kind of um, liberal Christian social gospel takes you. Mm-hmm. But just not like a um, an etymological perspective of like, yeah, the gospel is a very social thing. <laughs> yeah. And living out Jesus invites you into social places. Mm-hmm. So like, Maybe that term doesn't mean that now, but mm-hmm. in my mind, I like to redeem words instead of react to them, but whatever. So it's like, yeah, I, my gospel is actually a very social gospel mm-hmm. because I think following Jesus means that our holiness puts us out in the world with good deeds. There's a lot of conversations about what that actually means. What does it really mean to love our neighbor? But in the very sense, Peter or Peter's not saying, hey, go be holy by living out all alone in some cloistered area and just don't interact with the world. So the way we interact with the world should change um, to challenge people to question their speaking of us as evildoers. And it should challenge them to maybe be compelled and to give glory to God because that we're living in a compelling way. So, yeah. Yeah. That'll preach. I guess (laughs) I think of, uh, I think of Paul when he writes, I think in second Corinthians, he says, Hey, so that one time I wrote to you about not associating with these people, uh, I didn't mean like, don't, because yeah. <laughs> then you'd have to be outside of this world. Right. You'd have to completely remove yourself from, from this fleshly realm. And, uh, I think likewise, we as believers can really go, okay, what, what can I in good conscience without violating God in his word participate in this world so that my holiness is visible to others yep so well yep. there you go solved it, no, you, guys. you guys know exactly what to do <laughs> read your bible 
get to know your neighbors. Here to give answers, not questions. Darrell. <laughs> uh, uh, thanks, Chris. This is fun. Yeah. Thank you, thanks, Darrell. Peter thank you, Paul. Peter. Paul. Yep. We referenced <laughs> him a couple times. And uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed this. We will be back on the next episode. We'll Thanks, see you next Darrell. week. Later. Bye. Well, thanks for listening. Thank you to our guests for coming and sharing what they've been chewing on in God's Word. We produce these podcasts and release them twice a week. So please subscribe so you don't miss out on one. And don't forget, love God, love your neighbor, and make disciples. Disciples.